Hey everybody, I'm Jay Worthy, and this is the podcast for anyone trying to inject some adventure, purpose, and balance into their lives. 28 Summers is all about living life adventurously, seizing the moment, and optimizing your life. Now my guests today are Matthew and Karis Watkinson. They are a husband and wife duo, former vets who became increasingly frustrated with their lives, their industry, and frankly, society in general. After deciding enough was enough, they upped sticks and moved to Wales, buying a plot of land and committing to be truly off-grid. They have since had two children and continue to battle their neighbours who sadly reject their vision to live off the land. But, as you will hear in this episode, they are energetic, passionate and as committed as ever to their cause. I really love this chat and I really hope you do too. Matthew, Karis, welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. Really excited to chat to you both. Thank you so much for making time. Yeah, that's all right. We're happy. Yeah, happy to chat. Pleasure. We love, yeah, I love what you're, you're doing and promoting. So, yeah. yeah, happy to help. Thank you. Good stuff. Well, let, let's dive right in. So I first heard your story uh, on one of my favourite uh, guilty pleasures, uh, which is um, Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild. My wife and I love to sit and watch that. And um, your story really hit home with us because, I mean, it was quite a, an emotional episode, right? And you guys talk very openly about your, um, your, your lives before moving to Wales and then, you know, what the experience was like. And we just loved it. We thought it was a great episode and I've been following you ever since. And then recently I, uh, I, I dropped you a note and asked you if you'd come on. I was delighted when you said yes. So um, maybe we could start with you know, your, your, your backstory, you know, you're both, you're both vets, um, and you have this, uh, this really interesting backstory. We didn't mind just maybe sharing that to get us going. Uh, yes. I might cry, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, we should have more men crying in public, so I'm happy to do that. But <laughs> Yeah. You're happy to be the role model. So. Yeah. Um, b- becoming a vet for probably for both of us was, um, and obviously a proud moment and one getting admitted to vet school two surviving those five years graduating um i probably had a few concerns about the things that the profession did before graduating but that didn't diminish my you know how i felt when i graduated and got there and Mm. and suddenly you have this label that means something culturally um you've earned a sort of a bit of prestige, I guess. So you enter this whole world um, with that and uh, expecting to love every, the rest of your life. You know, that's your career. Mm. You've, you've worked really hard to get there. You're going to be fulfilled and, you know, everybody's going to respect what you do and lovely for what you do and things like that. But the reality turned out to be quite different. Um, and no, you, you, you you were the same as well, I think. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, just, yeah, did it, really wanted to do it, did all the work experience. Yeah, I was really pleased that got in. Um, yeah, graduated. And then getting in the first job, it was, yeah, it is um, kind of different to to what you think it is. I guess you just have no idea what the pressures will be like when you're you know, a, a vet kind of just left your own devices doing it and, and the work-life balance that is, is really long hours and having no time to yourself as well. I think I struggled with that. For me, it was that kind of over 
five years of university, I built the best family mm. I've I've ever had. You know, I um, family life was a bit difficult when I was younger. So I suddenly had a family and a place that I called home and um, people I adored and loved. And we shared good times and bad times and we got each other through it. Um, and then at the end of five years, it's all over. And everybody goes their separate ways and you think you're going to um, spend every weekend together and it doesn't happen. And suddenly we're all atomized and sent all over the country. Um, and you can find yourself in a practice where you get lots of support or not much support, or you can find yourself, as I did, in a... <laughs> You'll have to forgive us if Billy occasionally turns up to, yeah, <laughs> to right. add a little nugget of wisdom. Um, <laughs> um, where I ended up in a, a farm animal practice, which there isn't much support. You kind of, you need to know what you're doing from moment one when it turns out the real learning starts after graduation. When you have to go and be the thing you've practiced you haven't even really practiced it. You've learned theoretically a lot of what you need to know. And then suddenly you're on farms and everybody expects you to be, be confident and polite and uh, enthusiastic and awake. <laughs> um, all the time. All the time. Uh, and I tried, but it, it wasn't, it was really hard. And you, you, I felt like a, a fraud. I mean, <laughs> I didn't really know the answers to some some of the problems, but there's no one to turn to. You just gotta, you've gotta go for it. Mm -hmm. You've gotta pretend or look stupid. So you get put in these horrible situations, and I was really uncomfortable with it. Um, well, imposter syndrome is a big problem yeah. in the profession as well. Is a lot of yeah, a lot of people, and I really got it. Is you kind of even while while I did small animals, so while I'm in a point in an appointment with an owner talking about their dog, I'd kind of have almost these like little out of body experiences, just being like, "Do you really know what you're going on about?" Like, and this person's believing everything you're telling them, and do you really know all this? And are you good enough to be doing this? And that was really weird. Um, so yeah, that big big imposter syndrome and just feeling like. Yeah, you, if you didn't know absolutely everything, you just weren't good enough and you shouldn't be there. Yeah, I mean, lots of people are very happy. They have a great time after mm. their graduation. They're very happy. And I, I, perhaps for those of us with a bit of self-doubt, it can really magnify that pressure. And um, you can really go be hard on yourself for making mistakes or missing things mm. um, or not knowing the answer. You know, it, it just... Imagine that it's like an exam. You you start with these high hopes and it gradually becomes apparent that you're actually really quite miserable. So I was on my own in Somerset and um, was drinking far too much and was not remembering going to bed some nights and pretending to my friends when I spoke to them on the phone or met up with them that I was as happy as they was. I don't even know if they were happy. <laughs> but everybody's committed so much to getting there that you all pretend you're happy and the bosses want you to, you know, you need to show enthusiasm and commitment and um, justify your position. And, oh, the pressures are all coming in from all over the place and you're actually really miserable pretending otherwise. 
there we are. That set the scene for a pretty big <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, well, it's a, it's amazing as well because I think that we we look at vets um, and we expect them to be perfect, don't we? We we just expect them to know everything, and yet they're just you're just humans. I mean, you've been through a lot of training and you've learned so much, but I don't think we necessarily always see that as consumers. Oh, we see James Herrier. We see you know Yorkshire Dales and um, heartwarming outcomes. And the the real world is very different, and it's a completely different world to that now. We he was armed with a you know a tincture of iodine and a good bedside manner, and not much else. We we've got diagnostic equipment that you can hardly imagine, um, and so that we can do so much that creates so much pressure to and like to an do expectation. That. Yeah, yeah. We've got you know pets are now part of the family. Um, farm animals have been bred to such a deg- degree they're like Formula One race cars. You know, anything knocks them off off balance and they can be dead in <laughs> a few hours because they're running at such high physiological levels. So we're in a completely different situation to James Herriot. Um, but the cultural impression is that we're sort of omnipotent, omniscient, Mm. Um, hyper enthusiastic creatures who who can care and do care for everything 24 hours a day but I I couldn't I didn't <laughs> and and what was the you know you, you paint a fairly kind of bleak picture you know you, you had this dream job and then you land in it and it's not what you thought it was and you're struggling with the pressure um, you know what was the was the inflection point where you knew something had to change? Uh, <laughs> it kind of built up subconsciously. So I'd found um, a little a, a moral concern that I had really kind of got into my head, and I was really worried about that. And so that became a focus, and I started focusing on what our role as vets was. Had our sort of long-term impact on domestic animal health been what we would have intended. Um, so the example I give is pedigree dogs. Um, have they got as bad as they have in some con- situations just because people have bred them like that? Or have has the veterinary profession actually enabled it by being able to do so much? Um, and that became this big moral problem in my head like am I actually part of the problem as well um natural selection if it if if it was in charge would never allow some of these animals to exist I mean they're they're gargoyles some of them I'm going to get into so much trouble I shouldn't say any of this stuff anymore (laughs) I tried to avoid it but, but it still hurts inside you know my question was have we enabled some of what's happened to domestic animals? And as a result of that, I, I kind of focused on that and my frustration with my whole life ended up being focused on that. And then with, with nowhere else for it to go, I ended up talking to a national newspaper and criticizing the entire profession in a way mm. that um, they didn't like much. <laughs> but. I feel it lanced a, a boil. It kind of um, helped me move on. So 
it was it's a really painful um memory that that everything that happened around that newspaper article um but it kind of served a purpose because i could then draw a line under that whole whole part of my life and i burned so many bridges i didn't have much choice mm. <laughs> left then i had to make a new uh, i had to make a new path um although you were still stuck at that point you were kind of supporting both of us yeah yeah so i was still still in work then and as a you know a small animal vet i was doing what 12 hours and just then you just get stuck in in the rotor of doing it and i didn't really get that much of a chance to kind of think for myself of like you know i'm not actually i'm not happy and this isn't as great as i you know thought it was but yeah you kind of just get blinkered and just every day because you're just exhausted and knackered from all of it um but then um but then more things like you know kind of social things happen we had the banking collapse um of 2008 um and the london riots in 2010 were really near us and that and then that got us not just looking at um our lives you know in particular individually whether we were happy but then just also the whole kind of environment of like hold on how do banks actually work and and then and how do supermarkets actually work and all the food and like uh, hold on yeah. i don't know anything yeah. about how i i my life supports this yeah. i don't actually understand how yeah all of this stuff ends up like the, the electricity supply the water supply the um the financial system the mm. supermarket system how i i have no idea if it if it goes wrong as it was on the brink of doing in 2008 like, yeah um, we didn't have the first clue how to look no. after ourselves grow any food do anything for ourselves at all so we decided let's let's get a bit of land so we can just at least have somewhere to go but also grow some food just learn something and do some somewhere stuff. somewhere that felt peaceful mm. and spacious and relaxing and we could just learn how to grow a few things and it had a water supply um and if we had a tent we had shelter mm. and reduce life down to some very uh, simple things and, it, and their plan at that point was just to be there for weekends and holidays just somewhere to to go to 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 calm down <laughs> perhaps <laughs> is the word to just yeah. feel at peace um but once we've done that once we're like right stuff this <laughs> what, what you just said i think is is really is really fascinating because there was all this kind of thing swirling around and you were starting to feel like you needed a break and what I didn't fully appreciate with your story before is that when you first bought that land, it was like, can we just get a sanctuary that we can go to to help de-stress? Um, so at what point did it become more than that? At what point did you think, actually, we just need to move here? First, well, it, first time we visited. Yeah, it was <laughs> the first weekend after we bought it, we went and camped and it was like, oh, uh, because that was in West Wales and we lived in Essex. So, you know, it's quite a few hours and we were like, no, that's not close enough. Like, hold on. Well, right. We're not going to be here enough. The first time we went to, we bought it and then we went <laughs> to stay and we lit a campfire and the weather was gorgeous and there was a stream trickling past. Um, watch the sunset. Beers yeah, so, yeah, beers in the stream. <laughs> watch the sunset. 
um, sleep under the stars. Like, wait, what? You want yeah. me to drive back to Essex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've been long before that when we'd gone to Iceland, actually, and you burst into tears as we um, got back to Heathrow. We landed and I was and like, oh, God, we're here again. So... Um, it had been building, and then we went and stayed there, and realised we we had we this is what we want. This is how do we make this a bigger part of our life? So, Karis quit the job. At that point, I was just working as a film and TV extra, so I was actually having a whale of a time, <laughs> huh. um, and it was all casual work. So, Karis quit the job, and we just we've got one room bedsit nearby near the land. Um, packed everything in our camper van and drove out of London for the last time. Drove to Wales. Was it just the two of you at that point? Just the two of us at yes. that point, yeah. We had no idea you could live on the land. Um, we didn't have any real plan. We just wanted to be closer to it because that's the best we've felt anywhere for a, for a long time. Yeah, had some kind of healing quality for you just in that first visit. You just knew, you just felt that you needed to be there more. Yeah. So we moved cl- close by um, and then we discovered, and no, by that point we'd moved into a, an old sheep barn, <laughs> which literally was <laughs> just for ramblers to stay in overnight and there was still sheep poo on the floor of the kitchen. Cobbled oh <laughs> <laughs> stone and, yeah. You know, the average temperature in winter was something like six degrees um, and we were in there for a, a year. But during that point we discovered Wales has this planning policy that allows you to live on land like this if you can get through the planning system so you know ideas started bubbling up and um we i think we could have taken years on that planning process because it's such an, a big epic undertaking to to submit a proposal under this planning policy that we, it's easy to procrastinate and we we were out of London, so feeling a bit better. We could have just probably used the dream um, to keep us going. Mm. But mm. we've got neighbours who, who are very unhappy. So we had this little, um, we built this little toilet block out of recycled scrap wood and it got an enforcement notice on it because somebody complained. <laughs> so we said to the enforcement officer, if we apply for planning permission for a house and a one planet development here, can we keep the toilet? <laughs> and he said, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> so um, we applied basically to secure planning permission on the toilet, <laughs> but got a house thrown into the bargain as well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, we got through the first attempt and, mm. and off we went and then getting a house set up there was is not a house in necessarily the traditional sense as people might be thinking about it so how did you approach that um well we've got planning the the part of the planning has to be for um a zero carbon building so we've got planning actually for a straw bale turf roofed like proper kind of house um, but then obviously in the meantime, if you, if you secure planning anywhere with any planning policy, you can then live in temporary accommodation. 
Um, and so we then had to just, right, with the minute we had planning, we're like, right, we need to get up there in some sort form of temporary accommodation. Like, what on earth can we find? So we're kind of checking all sorts of ideas. And then we came across the, this, you know, horse lorry um, and was like, wow, you know, that's a pre-made kind of box and it's off the ground. Um, you know, we just need to get that and just, yeah. yeah. Only challenge was getting out there. <laughs> yeah, because it's on the kind of on the side of a hill, right? It's on the yeah. side of a mountain. There's some horrible S-bends just getting it to the car park. Um, um, <laughs> it was, yeah, I filled an old Hilux with chicken food. So there's probably two tons of chicken food in, in the Hilux, um, hooked up to the lorry with, with a 20-ton mm. tow rope, and then prayed. <laughs> <laughs> And we broke the tow bar on the way up there, yeah. but somehow it held together and um, we dragged the, the, the horse lorry all the way up to where we needed it and parked the horse lorry and it's never moved since. Yeah, it hasn't gone anywhere. Amazing. And then you set about converting that into accommodation that you could live in. So in a couple yeah. of months of stripping it out, although I still think there's a patch of horse poo on the wall somewhere. <laughs> Just cover it with another picture. It'll be fine. Um, I think it was very rudimentary, but the things that we needed, well, the Caris demanded, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was heat, um, hot water, and let's get some solar panels and the electricity sorted. Mm. So um, we installed a wood burner, got some electricity, um, solar panels for electricity, and insulated it a bit, and then. And then that was made a kitchen out of a plank of wood, a mm-hmm. bath out of half a barrel, um, <laughs> everything else. Did you have any of this knowledge before, or did you just kind of learn as you went? Oh, no, this no, is learning as you went. And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest lessons or messages we give is um, you don't know how, you don't have to know mm. how to do everything. You don't have to have all the knowledge of exactly how to build stuff and how to plumb stuff in and. Um, like yeah. we, we could have been there. We, you could pitch a tent, and you've got running water nearby. That covers the basics, really. Everything else you can learn as you go. I mean, you, you're not going to die if you haven't got Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can. It can. It's all possible, but you can learn it as you go. Mm. Um, and you know, you can buy as many books as you like about building off-grid or um, growing your own food or whatever. The real learning can happen as you do it. You can make mistakes. You can you can mess it all up. Um, it's you, 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 it's fine. You don't need to be an expert. I mean, if you're kind of climbing Everest, you probably need to know how to climb. <laughs> but with living off grid, um, if you're happy to accept a simple life, you can build from that easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love that message, and that's actually really consistent with what I hear from a lot of my guests. Is that you know, you don't have to know everything to start. And and often I think we do pr- procrastinate a lot and we kind of build things up in our mind and we, we think that we have to know everything before we get going. And and so, yeah, I, I that completely makes sense to me. What was life like in those first kind of few weeks and months after you got the horse, the horse box up there? And how was it? There was driving from our rented accommodation to, to the land that, that, last drive in December. or the first drive 
Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, no, it's winter solstice. I picked that for symbolic reasons, but actually, it was pretty stupid. Really, it was. Yeah. <laughs> we should have done the summer solstice, but that would have meant waiting a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that drive felt uh, super liberating. <clears throat> we had a trailer load of our final possessions uh, hooked up on the Hilux. Um, and as we drove from that rented a- accommodation for the last time, knowing that the rent was going to disappear, mm. um, bills were going to disappear, um, and we were driving to the spot where we'd felt so free and comfortable before was really liberating. But by that point, we had Elsa, mm. who was two years old. So, yeah. so it then became clear that I was going to panic and get really anxious. <laughs> Because Elsa was going to go and sleep sleep on her own in a caravan in the, in the, uh, a winter storm. <laughs> so I <laughs> so um, I sat outside her door after she'd gone to bed for about an hour, oh. maybe two hours. Yeah, it, utterly convinced she was terrified and would wake up screaming because the wind was really, you know, if you're living up on the side of a mountain in a caravan, you, the weather is suddenly there. You can hear it. But she went straight to sleep and no, I mean, she was absolutely fine. Yeah, she's super laid back and she was just great about the whole thing and just loved getting involved, didn't she? Um, yeah. I mean, even the whole time when we when we didn't live on the fields but we still had all the chickens and we were trying to grow stuff, she'd just come and potter around and help out. And, um, yeah, she was, you know, she, yeah. She's Kids just are so adaptable. Chill. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's what we... I guess that's the thing. Like we learn as children by making mistakes, and that's what we've tried to embrace again. Um, and also, kids are so open to new experiences and so willing to try stuff that we all need to be a bit more like kids. Mm. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that, Matthew. And actually, one of the things I, I always say on this podcast is I think that um, when I talk about living adventurously, I think in, in many respects, I'm, I mean, live like a child because I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad, I've got four kids and, um, you know, you see that, you see that with them every day. They, they live in the moment, number one, so they don't get too bogged down in what happened 10 minutes ago or too fixated on what's going to happen in the future, but also they're in awe of everything around them and they just kind of enjoying the ride and they they problem solve if things don't go right at first then they don't get too beat up on it and then the older they get that starts to disappear until they're adults and then they're just like us and I, and so I think our, our kids are like a walking talking lesson to us aren't they just to just to be a bit more childlike and not be too down on ourselves if we get things wrong oh completely I mean the, the world is dominated by line managers and bosses and um everybody's afraid of making mistakes and they've got, and I mean, particularly when I was a vet, perhaps that's because lives are on the line and um, there's, there's a huge responsibility with that. Um, that we, we don't take risks anymore and we're afraid of doing all that sort of stuff. But if you can, that's a, that's a cultural and perhaps an age related thing, but it's, it's reversible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can you can go the other way if you consciously think about it and just say, do you know what? Let's try it. It might not work. It might fail. But I'm glad. I'll always be glad I tried. And then suddenly you you can live your life like that. We're perhaps not as um, risky as we'd like to be. But then we've got kids. Mm-hmm. You 
it's there's a there's a whole new factor in the equation there. Um, maybe when, when they're up and have left home, I'll tell you about my plan to become sea gypsies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you're already making new plans, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the hardest part of what we've chosen to do is we're now very restricted to where we live, where we are. Um, we've got a farm, we've got livestock, we've mm. got kids. We can't really go anywhere. Um, and that's a big change from life before. I miss, you know, I've still got wanderlust. I just wanderlust. I'd still like to be traveling and seeing the world um but we can't do that right now which is why we're going to buy some rubbish old boat and <laughs> sail to the arctic when we've when the kids have left home well, but we'll are. talk about that at some point yeah. don't worry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like Karis is on board with that yet i think you've got more sales to do there i should be fine there's more <laughs> well, you got a few years till the kids are grown up yeah. to keep working on yeah. keep yeah. working on that one but i mean obviously you know, really, really kind of uh, traumatic few years with everything that happened uh, with the with the career. But then, kind of finding this 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 haven, this tranquil place that in in Wales. What have been some of the? I, I get the I get the positives and the you know the beer in the stream and just being able to be self sufficient and also freeing yourself of some of those obligations like rent and and bills. Um, it must be hugely rewarding. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you for you both? Oh, the biggest challenge by far is lo- local resistance. So how other people feel about what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Not all the locals, obviously. Um, you know, most of them, uh, you know, love it or you know, are really supportive. Um, but there there are a select few which happen to be our closest um, neighbours that just don't get it and don't get why you'd want to do this and surely you just want to have the best career you can and make as much money and buy a bigger house as you possibly can um you know and so yeah why i I assume this is get it yeah they they, they don't get it and i assume this is the same for anybody who's attempting something out of the ordinary Mm. is Mm. um they can see what they they have a vision and they can see what they want to achieve and not necessarily how they're going to do it but they know what's they believe it's possible and perhaps that was us at the beginning of this in like i have no idea how we're going to do this i just know we're going to do it um um but that vision was in our heads and it's it's hard to communicate that to everybody isn't it they've come with their own prejudices and worries and um and I, I think, as I said in the in the program, my imagination seems to, or our imagination seems to, scare people because we're not just following the the set routines. We are mm. behaving like kids. Um, I mean, the whole house is like a big den, really. It's just us building a big den in the woods, like we would have done uh, when we were kids. Except this one has Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, yeah, and I love that. I love the fact that you're basically just building a den in the woods and, and living there. It's really sad when you, when I mean, I obviously follow you on social and I see, you know, I saw the uh, 
uh, the notices that, wow. you, that you get and the, you know, the fact that people are just trying to make your life difficult. I, it is really sad um, because I think that often in life, people project their fears onto, onto you, don't they? You know, they'll, when they're telling you they don't like stuff, it's not necessarily that they don't like it. So they just don't understand it or they don't think it, that, that it can be done or they wish they could do it, but they're not necessarily brave enough to do it. So how do you, does that get to you or do you, are you pretty resilient with that now? Cause you've been, been at it for so long. No, it always gets to me. I, um, I pretend it doesn't because <laughs> uh, some of these people are encouraged by weakness. <laughs> um, but I, I don't want to fight with anybody. This whole, this whole thing was about sort of finding peace, not finding people to fight with. Um, that said, if they want to pick a fight, then they better be sure they're going to win it because <laughs> I'm going to fight for this as much uh, for my home for my family as much as needs be they're not gonna they're not gonna win yeah. but i'd rather not fight at all um yeah. do they fight out of interest do they fight the you know the original planning permission if you were to say hey we just won you know half a million pounds and we're just going to build that house that we originally got planning permission would that they don't mind that presumably because they see that as more normal no they'd mind that as well yeah, oh, really? they, yeah, um, yeah. They just—it's got quite bad. They—they they want us gone. They want us somewhere else entirely. Uh, I don't think there's anything we could do to make things better. I mean, part of the problem in this situation is they, during the planning process, made a big deal about how everything we said we were going to do was impossible. Mm. The the. Uh, the problem with that is they've trapped themselves in a prediction that if we prove the opposite, makes them look silly and makes them even angrier. <laughs> so, yeah. So there was no good way out of telling us we you it's impossible what you're going to do because then if we do it, they get it makes them feel even more threatened in a way. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I just want peace. <laughs> Yeah, we have sure. done it. I'm sorry if that makes you feel bad because you didn't think it was possible, but um, we have done it. And that actually, that means we're living this kind of very low impact lifestyle. Um, we're in invisible in the landscape. We've, we've kind of melt, disappeared into it. We're doing everything we say we're going to do. Can you, can you just leave us alone a bit? That would be really nice. Yeah. But it's not yeah. our decision. So is it still still very much in flux? They're still trying to make you move on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure I've helped the situation because I fight back, and um, people don't like that either. I'm not I'm not sure what we could have done though. If we'd have fought back and failed to do what we said we were going to do, they'd be happy. <laughs> and sorry, if we hadn't fought back, if we just been allowed ourselves to be bullied and not worked really hard to to meet our targets and do the things we've done they'd be happy but i i'm not going to do that no i think they're just set in their ways and i think they're used to um you know they're, they're they're just the kind of people that they're used to yeah telling people what they want and everyone's like oh yes you know yes of course and and yeah. i was very reverent yeah. and yeah we were like mm, no 
actually, you're not very nice. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> I don't like that. it was the worst thing they possibly could have done was to say, you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just makes you want to do it even yeah. more. If, if I need motivation, it's people who think they're authority figures telling me I can't do what I clearly know I can do. <laughs> I'm going to do it even more then. I'm, I have more motivation than ever before because you're doubting me. Yeah. So would you, if you had your time all over again, if you just bought this land and, and were just relocating, would you do anything differently? Um, I'm not sure. I don't. The only thing I'd do differently is be slightly closer to Skomer Island because I love going there to see the puffins. We're still an hour away. (laughs) If we could be, you know, right next to the boat to go to Skomer, brilliant. Otherwise, you originally also were like, no, let's go to Scotland or let's go to Iceland. Oh yeah, I wanted to go to the middle of Iceland. Just get away from absolutely everybody at that point. Yeah. But um, no, I think if we bought this bit of land, I, I don't, I don't. No. I don't think so. I don't know what we could have done. Yeah. That's that's good though, isn't it? Because that's more kind of indication for you that, yeah. that there's no regrets. You you've done you've been really authentic and you've done it the way you wanted. And and frankly, if people don't like it, you know. There we are. <laughs> whatever. Let's talk about more positive stuff. Let's talk about I'd love to talk about um no, but I appreciate the honesty and the you know, you you guys are so open and, and I I, I wish that people weren't like that because I, I wish the world was just a bit more tolerant of each other, you know, because you guys you went through a lot and you've moved out there to kind of hit reset and and it was all going really well or it is, you know, many parts of it going really well. But for other people to just continue to need mm-hmm. things like that, partly that was what you were trying to get away from, right? Um, but let's talk about more positive stuff. I'd mm-hmm. love to know what a day in the life of the, you know, the Watkinson family looks looks and feels like because you've got, you got young kids now, which obviously wasn't, wasn't part of your life when you first made that made the journey so you got two kids i think yeah billy and elsa um if if it was up to me i'd be sleeping until noon and then maybe doing a bit of work and then having a nettle beer looking at the view and <laughs> light the fire and watch the sunset but it isn't quite like that so <laughs> um the day starts when billy starts which oh, isn't too bad. He starts at about seven. So we get up and or I get up and go and sort out the chickens and the ducks at seven. Um, and then it's breakfast and get the kids, get Elsa to school. Yeah, because we, we've got a little local um, like village school, a nice community school that they, they go to. We did look at uh, homeschooling and things like that and, um, and how maybe we... We didn't not... just look at it. In the pandemic, we tried it. And both oh, realised well, we're rubbish at being teachers. Yeah. <laughs> you and the rest of the country, um, right? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that that bit was not great. But um, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. So so she goes to school, and then we get on with you know I sort all the eggs out. We get we've got how many chickens have we got now? Hundred and thirty or forty yeah, yeah. at the minute. So all the eggs from them from the day before. Sort all of that out and figure out who's getting what deliveries that day um we try to chill out a bit in the afternoon don't we now billy's going to school um, in the afternoon with it's one of the biggest difficulties in that we found is is actually relaxing is stopping mm, work when mm. our existence depends on us meeting all these criteria our home the existence of our home depends on that so um 
it's hard to say, oh, I'll put that job off till tomorrow. Um, there's always this pressure to keep going, to keep doing all these things. And There's, there's always and something to do, isn't there? Have... You've, got to, you've got to keep the thing yeah, running yeah. because you're relying on that land and those animals for your for your livelihood. Yeah, but it's... Yeah. But it's, it's unsustainable you've got to relax too you've got to yeah take time yeah. off as well so we make sure we built that in uh, well us us also moving away um you know we're not not near any we weren't near any friends and family that, that we knew then so um we haven't had any help with childcare, you know at all really so it's just you know so you've still got to have an ear out you know, even if they've gone off to play to make sure no one's like screaming because they've, you know, hurt themselves or something. Whereas nice when they're both at school, we're like, right, we're just going to sit and stop yeah. and we don't have to do anything exactly. at all. Um, yeah, so that's nice. But then otherwise it's, you know, making sure all the vegetables are growing and keeping an eye on everything and making sure the rabbits haven't eaten everything. <laughs> um, There's normally some wacky project going on as oh, well yeah. that we're trying to complete. Always. Um, probably that's quite a lot of You're it. You're always trying to upcycle day. something. Yeah, because um, yeah, then people, you know, people see the programmes or they hear about us, you know, local people, and they'll get in touch and say, hey, I've got a whole load of, like, this <laughs> type of junk that junk. I don't want. <laughs> and we're always like, yeah, we'll come and get it and see what we can do with it. So, um, yeah, we're... <laughs> So there's always something we're trying to build or, or figure out what we're going to do with different types of rubbish, basically. <laughs> Farm rubbish. <laughs> yeah, see, this is the fun part, right? Okay. Um, we There's many motivations for us being here to do it. Uh, and environmental concerns are one of those. You know, but we, we're not really in the business of uh, telling everybody else how they've got to behave. Mm. Um I don't I never really want to do that. I'm uncomfortable with that. But so what we would say is we'd focus on the bits that are positive for us without that. It's just this is actually really good fun. Building all this stuff um, is empowering and exciting. It's like we I've made the hot water system, right? Most plumbers, well, I expect all plumbers. Going, oh, oh brilliant you made a hot water system who cares for me <laughs> i'm like i've got hot water <laughs> <laughs> i made that and you get all these little eureka moments because you're having a go all these things that everybody else pays technicians to do or um uh professionals to do well we're doing it all we now know how to to fix it if it goes wrong as well and that this is all really exciting so Making the biodigester. Um, at the minute, I'm still trying to get this compost hot water system oh to work. <laughs> but when it, it doesn't work yet, but when it does, oh, it's going to be such a thrill. And and that's the beauty of this for us. is It's really good fun. We're kind of creativity and imagination are unleashed. Um, and mm. also, and this might appeal to others, is it's way cheaper than buying a normal house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i think what's also really uh really appealing about it is that it um you know you're you're clearly very much in the present when you live that life you're not too too hung up on the past or in the future so you you kind of got you touched on it before but you've got to focus on what needs to be done today um and so you know i like that whereas it, sometimes you're you're stuck in this kind of the trappings of success where you you're chasing promotion um which means you're more and more time poor 
which means you have to spend more and more money on other people doing things for you. And, and it's just this kind of uh, negative cycle, really. Whereas if you could just say, well, if I could just step back from that, I would have more time to learn these things and you know, try and do them myself. Oh, well, that's it. We yeah, are exactly. we're cash poor, but time rich. Mm. So we can yeah. we can mess around. I can make mistakes. So there's no there's some, but there's far less pressure on, on us to mm. do everything else. Um, and it frees us up to just have a go at so many things. And that's another big liberating part of this. Um, you know, if I was, if we were both working and we had the weekends to try and build a biodigester or a hot tub or a house, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you couldn't do it. Just you couldn't do it. But we can have a, a, a tinker every day, and it and that's part yeah. of how we live. Mm. And so everything's possible then. And I saw that you you do. If I go to your website, then there are things like tours and courses. Um, and uh, you got some, you got some books and this products. And so, is the idea with that to kind of raise money to to build the things you want to on the land? Is that is that generally what you're trying to do? Uh, we have a minimum amount of money we have to make as part of our planning permission. So oh, the land okay. has to generate an income to justify our continued existence there. So um, the the courses, the tours. Um, all this kind of educational stuff is helping us survive. Kind of maintain, <laughs> right. yeah, maintain our planning permission. Basically. It's also, I love that part of it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. And mainly my, my message is just go and have a go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to me. Just, yeah. You go and do it. Just but try. if people are interested and enthusiastic, it's, it's really great having them come and see what's possible. But I think a lot of people can do this, but didn't sort of realize it's possible so um if we can just push them over that little barrier and and unleash imagination that feels great um i love doing that so we do that for for both financial reasons and because it's fun um yeah so we'll see where that goes but there's quite a few people who want to learn how to make a biodigester. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine that that will get really popular. What about your, you know, as you reflect back, um, I still haven't made you cry, Matthew, so I'm going to have to keep keep pushing until, until I do. <laughs> ben, ben Fogel's got one up on me at the moment. <laughs> so, um, no, but I was I was genuinely curious to know, like, what are, what is what do you think is the biggest it may sound a bit cliche, but I'm genuinely interested. What do you think is the biggest life lesson that this whole experience so far has has taught you? That it's possible. Um, I've always had an uncomfortable relation with the word belief uh, because you know, I needed to to get to be a vet. You have to kind of work on evidence. You have to work on you have to work with science. Um, and so, belief without evidence. <laughs> Was, like was always a, yeah, that, yeah. a faith belief. But it, you've got to have it to do this kind of thing. Somewhere you've got to know you can do it. Um, and then you can do it. So you it's this kind of belief and faith in yourself that I, I have learned to have. Mm. And now I, I don't think there's many of our friends and family who... <laughs> don't believe and have faith in us anymore either <laughs> whereas perhaps they would but yeah if you if there's something you want to do 
you can find a million reasons not to do it. But if you really want to do it and you, you can find the belief and faith in that goal, then go for it. Mm. It might not be exactly what you expected, but <laughs> um, you will have proved something to yourself. You will have given yourself something, uh, self-belief, and that's, that's really valuable. Um, would that be, do you think that would be your advice as well? So for people listening in who are inspired by your story and, you know, whether they're, whether they're going to buy a, a plot of land and, and, you know, completely move in or, or whether they're just looking to be more sustainable or, you know, try and make a change in their life. Would, would that be your advice? Just don't dwell on it too much. Just, yeah. just go for it. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you can completely overthink these things and, just be like, oh, but this might happen and that might go wrong and things like that. And and then, and I think again with the kind of you know failing thing that it is okay to have you know to have failure and it is okay for something to go wrong as long as you learn from that and you go, oh, okay, I won't do that again or I won't do it that way and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it is a big a big part um, of of us and I think a lot of people now don't let their children try things in case it goes wrong and stuff like that and. It, you know that's a, it, that's actually a, a massive part of learning is you just try something and you see what happens and it doesn't work out exactly um then you know generally it's all right you're not going to like maim or kill someone or yourself or anything you know it's not the end of the world if um uh, I mean, if you're climbing everest it might well be but yes yes with other adventures <laughs> yes this doesn't apply to everything um <laughs> but you've, you've still got to have a commitment and a belief and a yeah, so just just go for it. Just do it. Make mistakes and learn and overcome. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I I could um, I could chat to you both all day, but it, it's been it's been so much fun hearing your story, and I uh, I think you're really inspirational. I think you're great role models, uh, not just for your kids, but for you know many many people out there who you know, maybe a bit stuck in the daily grind. And I think the way that you articulated your your story around the veterinary profession is you could change that profession for a number of others and and it would be true for people i think that a lot of people yeah. fall into <laughs> careers or work really hard to get into industries and then when they land it's not what they thought it was going to be for a whole ton of reasons and i think you know you guys are really brave and i think um you know even more brave since you've had kids doing what you're doing and i just i just love it and i i think um really really impressed with what you're doing love watching your story i'm really grateful for your time today so thank you Thank you. Pleasure. Well, as you heard there, Matthew and Karis have a commitment to bring in a minimum income to justify their life on the land that they own. Please do give them a follow on Instagram at Beeview Farming. Check out the links in their bio and see how you can get involved to help them with their mission. Thanks as always for your continued support. It really continues to mean the world to me that so many of you take the time to listen, share and review the podcast. That's it from me today. I'm going to be back soon with another amazing guest. But in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy and remember to live adventurously. Adventurously.